Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and, uh, making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. What an incredible passage. What a provocative, interesting passage. And here we have two things. We have Father God who is searching for people who want to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we have the Father's Son, Jesus, God made flesh, walking into a town where he shouldn't be walking, to meet a person he shouldn't be meeting. I think on that same journey, seeking someone who wants to worship God with spirit and in truth. And we have a woman who thirsts, who seeks after a drink to quench all thirsts. I don't know what 
what situation you've come in today, whether you've come with a thirst, whether you've come desperate to meet with God, whether you're desperate for something to happen, whether you're desperate for something to click in your life, whether you're desperate to meet with God as you worship him and call out. You want to see his spirit poured out in your life. You want to know him. You want to know his power. You want to know his strength in your suffering and circumstance. You want to know his joy and celebration and fruitfulness as you step out and do the things you think he's called you to do. Well, in this passage, Jesus talks about that thirst, about coming to him and finding the fullness of that satisfaction. And the context is worship. And worship is something I'm really, really passionate about. Um, Often in lots of church sermons and services, I've heard people say, oh, well, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is everything. And there's a large part that that's true. But when we do that, Worship kind of loses its power as a term, doesn't it? There are times and places where we deliberately stop from everything else that we're doing to turn our hearts to God. There are acts of worship in the Bible that are nearly always expressed through creativity, through music, through singing, through song, through rhyme, through poetry, through dancing, through physical action. People meet with God and they worship him. They fall on their faces. They fall to their knees. They lift their hands. There is something called worship that is powerful, that is a response to God, but is also not just a response to what he is looking for, but is something that can deeply satisfy and transform us as people as the dry, parched lands inside us become rivers of living water flowing out into our life in abundance. Yet, I think this woman maybe symbolizes a lot of where we can find ourselves and where we can find ourselves in churches. We can be looking for true worship in all the wrong places. She was the wrong woman. She's a woman who talks of multiple partners. Whether that means she is someone who is promiscuous, whether actually it means the opposite. She's someone who's been discarded by multiple men. Either way, the circumstances that she's gone through in life have led her to go and seek out water in the middle of the day, when the day is at its hottest, at a day when the least people would be out there. She's the wrong sort of woman, out at the wrong sort of time. And she's in the wrong place. She's on the wrong mountain. The Samaritans centred their worship around Mount Gerizim, whereas the Jews centred their worship around Mount Moriah. And actually, there are still Samaritans today who live around Mount Gerizim. And they believe that that was the place where Abraham bound Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord before God stepped in. They believed that that was the place where the tabernacle was rather than Shiloh. They believed that that was the place where the blessings were read out. When Moses talks about reading the blessings on one mountain, Gerizim, and the curses read out on on another mountain, Ebal. And they believed that Gerizim was the place to meet with God, was the place to worship God. The Samaritans only had the first five, their own version of the first five books of the Bible, the Samaritan Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in that, it said the centrality, it sort of stated how central Gerizim was. And this came from a time when the Samaritans um, were just in total opposition to the Jews. The Jews saw the Samaritans as people who, during the exile to Babylon, 
had then mixed with the people around them and had changed their worship. But the Samaritans made the same accusation to the Jews. They said, you, you went off into exile and you came back and suddenly you had these, all these other books of the Hebrew Bible that you saw as part of scripture that you used in your worship. And actually that came from Babylon. So you had these two groups arguing about worship. Where to worship? What books to use in worship? And yet, here they are, united. There's, this, there's a centrality. Often, uh, Freud talks about the narcissism of minor differences. We fall out the most with people we are the most like. And here we have the Samaritan, a Samaritan woman and a Jew face to face in Jesus. And she's longing for worship that quenches. And they start to debate worship. She's the wrong woman, out at the wrong time of day, on the wrong mountain, in the wrong place, from the wrong people. And yet, Jesus cuts through all of that and has an encounter with her and says, actually, the debate you're having about that mountain or this, about Moriah or Gerizim, about your people or my people, about whether they are our ancestors or whether they're your ancestors, actually, that is not it. God is looking for people, not who go to the right mountain, but people who seek after him in spirit and in truth. I think in modern worship, we have lots of us who go to different churches, and I think we've become two things in our worship. I think we've become consumers We've become people who drink and drink and drink, but just remain thirsty. And we just are looking for kind of the latest experience or the latest songs or what's going on. But we're not quite seeing the Spirit of God poured out. There's a kind of hunger. There's a shallowness. There's an emptiness at the center of what we are that we're trying to push towards finding something new. And we see people, you know people, you may be that person We kind of bounce around from church to church looking for the preacher that we like, the worship that we like, the place where the spirits move in, the conference that's hip and happening, the the, the podcast that is the most inspiring, the, the album that's most uplifting. And we're just consuming and consuming, but we're still thirsty. Or we become connoisseurs of worship. There are lots and lots of connoisseurs who like to go to churches and go, oh, actually, that pastor's very good, but he doesn't quite speak enough about this area, which I know a lot about. And that worship's really good, but they just don't quite know how to move in the spirit. And we engage in the same debates as if worshipping God is about the person who's doing it, or the place, or the mountain, or the songs, or all the kind of external things it could be. And actually, we miss the true Worship that God the Father is seeking. Worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is a powerful thing. I think the reason why worship is so powerful is because I think it's the fullness of everything that we were created for. In fact, it's the fullness of everything that we were created in the image of. What we learn when we read through the Bible is that God is a personal God. God is a person and he wants relationship. And he's created us the same. He's created us for a relationship with him. And he's actually created us so much so that we enjoy and delight in and need relationship with each other. He's created us free. He created us with the choice to turn away from him, to not obey him. But there's also in that the creative choice to turn to him. Worship is ultimately a choice 
to turn away from everything else and fixate on God, to love him, to worship him, to magnify him. And also he's created us as creative. He's created us to go out and multiply, to go and enjoy. He's created us as physical beings to go out and be physical in the world, to cultivate, to craft, to use gifts and talents. I think singing is a perfect embodiment of that, where we take our physical selves and we take the breath that we breathe in and we turn it into melody, we turn it into words. Actually, we turn it into something collective where we all create together as we lift up our voices. Worship does all of that. It has that sense of relationship with God. It has that sense of community gathering together. It has that sense of freedom and choice and turning to God. And it has that sense of creativity, of created creative beings worshipping a creator God, which is a beautiful thing. So if worship is all of that, if God is seeking worshippers, and if maybe we've made worship all the wrong things about place and space, who's in, who's out, who's it, who's not, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? What is that worship that God is seeking? Well, the opposite, the opposite of spirit is flesh. Worship isn't our fulfillment of our flesh, our self-indulgence and enjoyment. It isn't consumption, as we looked at before. Worship is connecting our spirits to God. Worship is being soulish beings, allowing the spirit that God has breathed into us out to overflow, to pour out. That's what true worship is. It isn't defined on all the external physical boundary markers of flesh and mountains and writings. Actually, it's about us connecting with God himself. And truth, well, Jesus says something in this passage about uh, known and unknown. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. The opposite of truth is something unknown or something false. And to worship in truth is to come face to face with who God is. And I think actually what Jesus is really provocatively pointing out in this passage, that some of the false things that get in the way are those mountains on which we worship. And he doesn't say, you worship on this mountain, actually you need to come over here. He says there'll come a time when mountains just pass away. And actually it's all about meeting face to face with God. So how do we respond? Well, of course, we respond in worship. But I want to encourage us today to bring our hearts to God. So maybe where we've been, people who've consumed and consumed worship and songs and services and church. And actually, we've just eaten so much that we're just overfull, but we're not satisfied. I think we've never lived in an age where it's easier to just get your phone out, go to YouTube and find some of the best Bible teachers in the world, to find some of the most deep, profound teaching that you can. And yet, in our churches, we have a crisis of discipleship. We have less and less people who really know God for themselves, who are really seeking after God with their lifestyles, who are really pouring out themselves, who are shaping their community in the shape of the kingdom. And maybe some of us need to stop being connoisseurs, need to stop picking and critiquing 
and actually just allow our hearts to connect with God himself. I might not sing like a legion of 10,000 angels. I play guitar kind of okay. I've, I've had enough practice at it over the years. But actually, it's not about the songs we sing. It's not about the words. It's not about the melodies. It's about us bringing our hearts together. It's about us stepping out. So we're going to do two things. We're going to invite God's spirit into our hearts, and then we're going to call out to him in worship. Would you join with me in that? If you want to join with me, why don't you stand? And just, if you're willing, if you're able, we're just going to take a posture of receiving God's spirit right now. Whether that's for you to lay a hand across your chest, for you to kneel, for you to stretch out your hands ready for what he would put in there. But we just invite the Spirit of God to come and fill us now. We say, God, we have searched everywhere to find food and drink that would satisfy. But we're left thirsty and hungry and tired at the end of it all. Jesus, give us this water that brings eternal life. Pour out your spirit on us afresh now. Pour out your spirit on us afresh now. We wait for you, God.